We are going to be taking our reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 9 to 11. And it says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. The last time we looked at uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 5 to 8 and we talked about uh, people, two different kinds of uh, classes of uh, people of where you can be, two different classes. And we talk about those who are in flesh and those who are in the spirit. Those who are in the flesh go on minding the things of the flesh. And their mind is set. They have the mindset of the flesh. And that results in death. That results in hostility towards God. That results in not being able to subject the, to the law of the God. And not being able to please God. But those who are according to the spirit go on minding the things of the spirit. And they have the mindset of the spirit. And it results in life and peace. And that's what we discussed in long term. And we discussed about how can you know that you are of the flesh? How can you know that you are living in the sphere of the flesh? And I said the last time that Paul doesn't talk about how we can know of how you can be in the sphere of the spirit. But in verses 9 to 11, he expounds on that. How you can know you are of the spirit or you are in the spirit. And that's what we are going to be seeing today. How you can know that you are in the spirit. Now, our test starts with, Now you are not in the flesh, but in spirit. So, now it indicates presently. This is a present thing. The present continuous tense. And something that, that goes on from the past and continues into the future. It says, Now you... And you see now it transitions from the third person plural to the second person singular. You are you remember in the verses five to eight, he had been saying those, 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 but now he's now saying you, you, that is the brethren in the church, you, you are not in flesh but in spirit. And he's not talking about uh, he, uh, those and you as two uh, entirely different persons. No, he's talking about uh, those and you could happen to one same person, not entirely two classes of person. Because some people interpret it to me that those who are in the flesh are entirely unbelievers. Those who are in the spirit are entirely Christians. So Christians cannot be the ones that are in the flesh. They never interpret that way. They say they are two separate things entirely. But as we shall see, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying that you, these people who are in the spirit, this you that is in the spirit, can also be part of the those that are in the flesh. Just for example, uh, uh, those who are outside the house, those are outside the house. I'm saying those people are outside the house and you are in the house. You that is in the house now could become the those that are outside the house. 
when you are no longer in the house. And those outside the house could be inside the house when they are no longer in when they are no longer outside the house. And Paul does say this in verse 12. He says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to we are under obligation not to flesh to live according to the flesh. So Paul envisions that these people that are saying you can go back to living according to the flesh. So an unbeliever basically, there are two classes in a way. An unbeliever cannot be in spirit. For them to be in spirit, they would have to be in Christ to be in spirit. But a believer could either be in spirit or be in flesh. These are two states a person could be, not entirely two different persons. Now it says, now you are not in flesh, but in spirit. If indeed the spirit of God goes on dwelling in you. Now notice the word, if indeed, which is a conditional particle, that is a condition to living in the sphere of the spirit. To living in the spiritual realm. To, to being spiritual. There's a condition to being spiritual. You can't just become being in the spirit by your own strength. You can't become enter into the supernatural realm or the spiritual realm by your own strength. There's a condition to be in the spirit. And it says the condition is that the spirit of God has to go on dwelling in you. The Spirit of God has to go on dwelling in you. So, the if in the statement indicates that not everyone is in the Spirit. Not everyone is in the Spirit. For him to use the if, that means not everyone that is writing to is in the Spirit. Everyone could be in the church and not everyone in the congregation is in the Spirit. You could have some members that are in the flesh. Notice the word again, go on. Indicates a present continuous tense. It says, the go on, if the Spirit goes on dwelling in you. The you that is not in the flesh is the you that the Spirit of God goes on dwelling in. The word dwell means to inhabit. It means to house, to live at home. So, for you to be living in the sphere of the Spirit, the Spirit has to be living in you. The Spirit has to feel at home in you. It's almost like um, for you to for you to be able to learn how to swim, to live in the water, you have to take in some water into you. So they are to, for you to properly live in the sphere of the Spirit, to live in the sphere of the water, you have to take in some water into you. You breathe in some water. There's no way you can live in water and not have water inside you. And not taking some water. So for you to live in the sphere of the spirit, you have to the, the spirit of God has to inhabit inside you. 
Now, he has to feel at home in you. So, now I want you to be truthful to yourself. Do you know from experience that there is a spirit living in you? That the spirit of God is dwelling in you? That the spirit of God is inhabiting you? I don't want you to answer the question based on some preacher told you that when you believe in, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you accepted Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. No. And it's an unconscious experience. That's the word I want you to answer me. If you had asked it, I want you to know that you have a conscious experience that you have actually received the Holy Spirit. Because these people that Paul is writing the epistle to, they had a conscious experience that they had received the Holy Spirit. So Paul isn't telling them derive the doctrine of receiving the Holy Spirit from scriptures. No, they had the experience. So Paul is telling, simply telling them the experience that they've been going through. For example, in Galatians 3, Paul asks, Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the Lord or by faith? When he's asking that question, he wants them to think over when they actually receive the, uh, the Holy Spirit. This is it when they start practicing the works of the Lord, when they put their faith? If it was a, an unconscious experience, they would have not been able to answer that question that Paul is asking them. But if it's a conscious experience, they can be able to identify the exact period that they actually received the Holy Spirit. If you had asked the disciples when they received the Holy Spirit, they won't tell you it was unconscious. They will certainly tell you when they received the Holy Spirit. And they will date it back to when they believed. They will date it back to Pentecost after they had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ during his ministry. Cornelius certainly knew when he had received the Holy Spirit. And Peter also knew he had received for example, if an evil spirit is dwelling in the person, the person will know and the people around them will also know. Maybe you must have watched some movies where you see uh, people taking other pe over other people's bodies. They seem to be having blackouts in their memories that they can't remember what happened to them. Or they just wake up and find out that they've killed so many people and they can't remember how did all this happen. And sometimes they put uh, cameras to see what is actually happening to them in the night when they are sleeping. What takes over their bodies? They actually know that it's not them that is actually doing these things. But it's someone that is living inside them, that is sharing their body with them, that is doing these things. The person loses time, can't remember how he got to the place he is. The evil spirit is so dominant, sometimes you can't control him. And the Holy Spirit, you have to allow him to take control. It's not a dominant spirit. You have to allow him to take control over your life and walk through you. And when the Holy Spirit takes control, you know certainly that when he's doing these works, that is not you that is doing them. That is him that is living in you that is doing these things. Just as the same person who another person has taken over his body will say, It's not me that is doing these things. I can't remember. 
I can't have memory of me doing these things. It's another person that is living inside me that is doing these things. That is the same way we are conscious that is the Holy Spirit that is enabling us to work out righteousness. And now, even spirits can be triggered. Evil spirits can be triggered. The Holy Spirit within you can be triggered. For example, when the Lord Jesus Christ came across people who were uh, possessed by evil spirits, whenever they come near him, they will be triggered to rush out to me. The Son of God, they will cry out, do not send us away. They knew, they knew who he was and his authority. And they will cry out, have mercy upon us. They knew what he could do to them. So, whenever they met the Son of God, they knew who he was. He triggered them out. And Jesus Christ had the authority to cast them out. Those evil spirits. Can you say about yourself that when people see you, they know that you have the Holy, received the Holy Spirit? They can know, I, I see the Holy Spirit in this person. Can you say that about yourself? There are also things that trigger the Holy Spirit in you. For example, in Luke 2, verse 41 to 42, where, 44, we have an example there. It says, now his parents went to... Sorry, not Luke 2, 41 to 44. Um, Luke 1. Luke 1, verse 41 to 44. And it says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out to the loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. So you see, the Holy Spirit within her was triggered by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as a baby in his mother's womb. And the, Elizabeth became full, filled with the Holy Spirit immediately. All because of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes prayer could result in this triggering of feeling of the Holy Spirit. The disciples prayed for boldness in Acts, in the book of Acts, and God filled them with, the, uh, with His Holy Spirit, and the place was shaken. Prayer could trigger the Holy Spirit and this bring about this feeling of the Holy Spirit. If someone asks you, when were you baptized in water, you can be able to answer because you know when. That is how definite the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit is. It says... In our text, in verse 9, it says, Now if anyone does not go on having the Spirit of Christ, is being not of him. Now, you see that he moves from the second person plural to the third person singular. 
from you to anyone. And this, if anyone that is stating here, it could be Christians, safe people, and it's definitely true of unbelievers. Unbelievers do not have the Spirit of Christ, so they are not of Him. Now I want to deal with the Him at the end of the text first. Who is the Him at the end of the text? It says, now if anyone does not go on having Spirit of Christ, he is being not of Him. Some translations uh, go on to say that it's Christ that the Him is talking about. But the original Greek just says Him, not Christ. Now, if we to take it, there are two ways of looking at this. If the definite article is missing from before the Spirit, you just have, now you are not in flesh, but in spirit. If indeed, Spirit of God do, goes on dwelling in you. If anyone who does not go on having Spirit of Christ, it's not of him. So the definite article is missing from the beginning of Spirit. Then the emphasis is on the power rather than the person of Spirit. So it would be right to conclude that of him is Christ. But if you put the definite article D in front of Spirit, it will be putting emphasis on the person of the Holy Spirit. So you now have, now you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God goes on dwelling in you. Now, if anyone does not go on having the Spirit of Christ, is being not of Him. You could say if the if is if the D is before the Spirit. Then you could say the if. You could say the of him is Christ. You could also say of him is the spirit. Because the spirit is the subject of both clauses. Say spirit of God, spirit of Christ. And the wider context of this passage is talking about the spirit, the spirit from the verse from in this Romans 8, you could actually call it the life in the spirit, the shafter. A lot of emphasis on the spirit. So you could conclude that and say the of him is the spirit. So on that basis, you could conclude that the of him is the spirit. But I will lead more to the position that of him is Christ. Because the, in the Greek, the original Greek, the definite article is missing. And the next verse also says, Christ in you. So what does the Spirit of Christ mean? It's, used, it's a term that is also used in 1 Peter 1 verse 11. Let me read verse 10. It says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that will come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as it predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So in this test, the definite article is before the Spirit, and it says the Spirit of Christ, which is talking about the emphasis on the person of the Holy Spirit. So the E that predicted the sufferings of Christ 
and the glories to follow is the Spirit of Christ. So there is a sense where the Spirit is Christ and Christ the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ was in the prophets predicting this glory is to come. And that's why Paul goes on in the next verse to say, Now if Christ is in you. Because there's a close relationship between the Spirit and Christ. And Christ the Spirit and the Spirit. So Corinthians 3 verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Christ is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of Christ is, there is liberty. But you understand the Spirit of Christ. I want us to take a look at Jesus' statement in John 14, verse 16 to 17. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides in you and will be in you. He says, he will give you another helper. The word another is simply saying that it's a similar with me. This is like a replacement of me. That if I'm going, you're having someone that is exactly me, but spirit form. That's what Christ is saying. So the Father, which is God, will give them another helper, which is like Jesus. And that's why the Spirit is also called the Spirit of God, because it comes from the Father. Now you notice, it says, because He abides with you and will be in you. How does the Spirit abide with them presently? How does the Spirit stay with them presently? The answer to that is that the Spirit stays with them through the person of Christ. If you have seen Christ, you have seen the Father. If you have seen Christ, you have seen the Spirit. So the Spirit is staying with them through the person of Christ. But we said it will be in them. The Spirit will be in them, which happened at Pentecost. Christ in bodily form cannot be in them. Christ has to be in spirit to be in them. That is where the Spirit of Christ comes in. And He came to dwell in them on the day of Pentecost. So when you have the Spirit of Christ in you, it literally means Christ is in you. So Christ was in them. And that is why Jesus Christ goes on to say in Matthew 28 verse 20, He says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Because the Spirit is with them, as Christ ascended. So the Spirit came. Upon them. And came in them. That's why Christ is with them always. Because it's not in the Spirit form. In them. 
to his spirit himself came upon Christ after his baptism. Is the spirit of God and also the spirit of the Lord. Look for it and says, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. The same spirit had now become the spirit of Christ. The spirit came upon Christ, which is the spirit of God, and had now become the spirit of Christ. And Luke uses the Spirit of the Lord to refer to the Spirit of God, the Father. Why Paul uses the Spirit of the Lord to refer to it as the Spirit of Christ? Because Paul usually called Lord, called Christ Lord. So Paul is saying through our test that how do you know that you are being of Christ or the Spirit? You know by if you go on having the Spirit of Christ in you. You can go have the assurance of your salvation. You can go on knowing that God owns you. You can go on knowing that you belong to Christ or the Spirit. By having the Spirit of Christ in you. And if anyone does not go on having the Spirit of Christ, you are being not of Him. That's what Paul says there. You can't know God owns you if you do not go on having the Spirit of Christ. I believe Paul is using the behalf indicating conditionality because he hadn't been to this church, so he can't be too sure everyone had received the Spirit. It doesn't want to be dogmatic. This last statement that Paul has said here does not go on having the Spirit of Christ. Would also lead to the question if anyone can lose the Holy Spirit once given. I won't address that here in detail, but following what Paul is saying, I lean towards the position of possibility. Of losing the Holy Spirit once given. Now, if you want to be sure that you belong to God, the Holy Spirit is the pledge, the promise that you can know that you belong to God. It's the proof that you have been justified. You can't know that you belong to God or the Christ or the Spirit without the Spirit indwelling in you. You will just be in the wild. You will just be getting your assurance from the Scriptures. But once you have the Spirit dwelling in you, you have this assurance that is coming from the Spirit Himself, which we are going to deal with in later passages. As we go on, Paul deals with the topic of assurance of salvation in later verses. He says, now if Christ is in you, which is also the same thing as if you are in the Spirit, which is also in the same thing as the Spirit, if the Spirit of God does on dwelling in you. Paul says, the body is dead through sin, and spirit is alive through righteousness. 
So now it doesn't say the body is going to die through sin. Or it says the body is dying through sin. It just says the body is dead through sin. Which body is dead through sin? It's the body in which Christ dwells in. The body that Paul says in Romans 7.24, Who will set me free from the body of this death? Paul is basically saying that your body is no longer living because of sin. Your body has now become fragile. One thing we come to know when we come to this world and our first breath is that death is of a certainty. Someone's first breath in this world could become their last breath in this world. Babies do die. And Paul is saying your body is no longer living because of sin. Sin is the means through which our bodies die. In the Garden of Eden, God actually planned for us to be immortal. For our bodies to be immortal. But due to the fall, our bodies became mortal. That's why people die. The body is corrupted. That's why babies die. David said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So if someone asks you, why do people die? Tell them because of sin. Sin is the reason why everyone dies. You can never escape death. It's a certainty for everyone. Unless the Lord Jesus comes. Before you die. That is the only way you will escape death. And that is if you are of Christ. And we even use terms like, you are not getting any younger, you are not getting any fresher. Our bodies are decaying because of sin. So even if Christ is dealing in you, you would still die. There's nothing that says that because you have Christ in you, then you would not die. You are going to become immortal when you have Christ dwelling in you. There's nothing that says that. You don't live in your mortal bodies forever. But there is a difference between those who have Christ in them and those who don't. And it's not in their bodies. It's not through the bodies that you know. It's their spirits. And Paul says that their spirit will be alive through righteousness. Righteousness is the means through which our spirit lives. So if Christ is in you, you produce righteousness, you produce righteous deeds. And that's what is going to keep your spirit alive. Ask yourself, am I marked by righteousness? Is my lifestyle righteous? That is the only way your spirit can live. And those who don't have Christ in them, both their body and their spirit is dead because of sin. But thanks be to God, those who have Christ in them, their spirit is alive because of righteousness, though the body is dead because of sin. God has redeemed your spirit now. 
He would redeem your bodies at the resurrection. God has redeemed, has raised your spirit from the dead now. And you can be assured it would raise your bodies from the dead. We're going into the fifth now and the fourth if in the session we're looking at. And you see in verse 11, Paul says, Now if the spirit of the one having raised up Jesus out from the dead goes on dwelling in you, the one having raised Christ Jesus also will give life to your mortal body through his spirit dwelling in you. So Paul is giving us the promise of the resurrection here again. Your spirit has been raised from the dead. Your bodies are going, you should be assured that your bodies are going to be raised from the dead too and be made alive. Who is the one there? The spirit of the one. The one is God the Father. If the spirit is dwelling in you, God will use the spirit as a means to give life to your mortal bodies. Now, there's a... There's an interpretation of this passage that I want to deal with, which is the faith, uh, Eli's interpretation. That he interpret this text to mean that Christians can never be sick, that they are to have perfect and total health, because he says that it will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit dwelling in you. So you have, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, then you are going to enjoy uh, perfect health and wholeness, and they believe that uh, physical healing is the main benefit, one of the major benefits of the atonement. I disagree with that interpretation from this verse. I know healing was part of the atonement, but not the major. It's part of the benefits of the atonement, and there are many benefits of the atonement that we are not going to actualize in this life. For example, our redeemed bodies is part of the atonement. But you're not going to have your spiritual bodies, your new bodies, to the end of the age, to the resurrection. And if you say that this text is interpreting or saying that we are to have perfect health and wholeness, then we are not meant to die. If the Spirit is dwelling in us. And Paul has just finished concluded that indeed the body is dead. So if you are following what Paul is saying, you can't be led to such interpretation of the verse. So the verse doesn't allow for such interpretation. Paul has finished saying our body is corrupted, it's decaying, our bodies are mortal and fragile. So he can't go on and contradict himself anymore. So what is Paul truly saying in this verse? You see, he says, also we give life to your mortal bodies. And the, the, the give life is in the future tense in the Greek. So Paul is really saying that God will do what he did with Christ to us. And what did he do with Christ? He says he raised up Jesus out from the dead. He gave Jesus life out from the dead. He gave his mortal body life. 
And that is the same thing he's going to do with us. Through his spirit, he's going to resurrect us. Christ was resurrected through the spirit of God. Romans 1 verse 4 says, Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Through the eternal spirit offered himself. The eternal spirit is the one that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And is the one who is going to raise us from the dead. It's the means God is going to use to raise us from the dead. How can we have the assurance of this resurrection? Second Corinthians 5 verse 1 to 5 deals with that. It says, For we know that if the early tent, which is our house, is torn down, we are building from God a house not made with ends, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be cluttered with our dwelling from heaven with our heavenly bodies, with our resurrected bodies. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. So God is giving you His Holy Spirit, as a promise of the redemption of your bodies, as a promise of the resurrection, that I can show you that I'm going to resurrect you. I'm going to give you a new body. That is one of the reasons he gives us his Holy Spirit. And this... Resurrection, he also talks about in Romans 6 again. He says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 8, he says, Now if we have died in Christ, we believe that we also live with him. So time and time again, Paul keeps on bringing this assurance of the resurrection. That this mortal body will be swallowed up by life. These mortal bodies will be made alive through His Spirit dwelling in you. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The Spirit gives life to our spirits and makes it alive. The same Spirit that resurrects our spirit and makes it alive is the same Spirit that is going to resurrect our mortal bodies and make it alive. I want us to look at a familiar passage. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 35. It says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool! That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So there's no way that your mortal bodies will be given life or will brought to life Without it dying. So for you to be resurrected, you have to die first. For your spirit to be resurrected, it has to be dead first. So when you are an, unbe- you are an unbeliever, your spirit was dead. 
And when you had the spirit indwelling into you, your spirit was made alive. And resurrected from the dead. Paul goes on to say, And that which you sow, you do not sow the, the body which is to be, but be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, another fish of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly one is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is a sown, a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. Your perishing body is sown and raised as an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. It gives life. So if you are in the last Adam, if Christ is in you, it's going to be a life-giving spirit to you. It's going to give your spirit life. It's going to give your body's life. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the head, Eti. The second man is from heaven. As is the Eti, so also are those who are Eti. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have been born the image of the Eti, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, the flesh, that flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep. But we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then we come up, come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So if Christ is in you, if the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, and you are assured of the resurrection. The Spirit has given you the assurance that you are going to be raised on the last day. Paul is telling us that no matter what work you do in this life, it's not in vain. No matter what kind of work you do for the Lord, it's never in vain. You may not see the rewards. You may not see success in what you are doing in the work for the Lord today. But be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding. No matter what you do for the Lord, is never ever going in to be in vain. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Never get tired in doing good. Never get weary in doing good. 
So the, the living a life with the assurance of resurrection is very, very practical. It affects the way we live. It affects our view of life, our daily work. When we are doing our daily work as students, as workers, as engineers, as doctors, as bankers, as police people, when we are doing our work, we are doing it as unto the Lord. And because we know we are going to be resurrected, we know that all our work is not going to be in vain. The Spirit keeps on giving us this assurance of the resurrection. Now I want to talk about if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, if you are not sure, if you do not know from your experience, cautious experience that you have received the Holy Spirit, the scriptures doesn't don't leave us in the void, in the dark, saying how we can seek the Holy Spirit. And it gives us one answer, and that is true prayer. Our Lord Jesus Christ too received the Holy Spirit through prayer. The disciples too through prayer. Luke 3, verse 21 to 22, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Acts 1, 14 says, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. This was before the day of Pentecost. So you can be seeking the Holy Spirit through prayer. Jesus gave a wonderful promise to believers in Luke 11. He says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then be evil, know how to good Give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? So don't be scared to ask the father of the Holy Spirit. He won't give you any bad gift. Don't be scared because of the way you have seen a lot of people who claim to be charismatics, who claim to be the Holy Spirit people, and how they have deviated from the truth. And now they always believe different kind of lies that are coming in. And they no longer test the spirit. They no longer test what people say. Their, their zeal for the study of the world or study of scriptures have reduced. Don't be deceived by what you see. That because this book came to be the Holy Spirit, it seems that it's not the spirit of God that they have gotten from their so-called baptism in the Holy Spirit. Don't be scared because of that. Still go on and ask the Heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit. Trust Him that He's going to give you a good gift. That is who our Heavenly Father is. He doesn't give things that are evil. But He gives good gifts to His children. And He knows what is best for us. So He's going to give you His Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him. To those who go on asking for Him. It's not a one-time asking. Go on asking. Go on seeking. Go on knocking. Never get tired. Go on seeking the Holy Spirit till you have the conscious experience that you have received the Spirit of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, O Lord, that those who are listening to this, that have lost the joy of their salvation, the joy of their salvation will be restored to them. Those who are lacking assurance, O Lord, whether they belong to you, O Lord, 
Father, I put your spirit within them and they will be confirmed and know that they belong to you. We pray, O Lord, that as Christ is dwelling through us, that righteousness will be produced towards us, through us. And we pray, O Lord, that the glory will be returned back to you. There is no us that is working out this righteousness, but you, O Lord, that is working through us. Just for example, the same way those people who pierces take over their bodies will not say they are the ones responsible, but the persons living inside them that is responsible. That is the same way we say the deeds that we do, we are not the ones that do it. We are not the ones responsible, but it's the Holy Spirit living within us that is responsible for this. And may all the glory and honor be given back to you. We pray for many, O Lord, who have not yet received the Spirit of God. This dwelling of the Holy Spirit, this experience, conscious experience of the Holy Spirit. We pray, O Lord, that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you will pour them with your Holy Spirit to an overflow. And they will know certainly that they have received the Holy Spirit. And may all the glory, O Lord, be unto your name. Many, O Lord, that are struggling with believing this resurrection, help them, O Lord, to understand the resurrection. Reckon it to themselves as being true and believe it. And may it have a daily effect on their work. A work, an effect, O Lord, a good effect on their daily work. All this we ask through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.